Hello and welcome to the Saturday Nonstop Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Kara. Marler, what went by faster for you? Was it Tom Herman's run at Texas or was it bowl season? Oh man, uh, that's a bowl season. Bowl season, God, it, like bowl season went by fast, but it like also, as you know, because somebody that works in it, it's, it was so long and tiring. Yeah. And we had so much sushi to celebrate last night. And I hate to even say that because I was saying, like Allie was like, let's get some sushi and let's celebrate the end of like a really hard, like long week. And, and you know, all the stuff you put in and I was like, yeah. And then I, and then I got like really down because I was like, oh, it's, it's over. It, like the... Ugh, I don't even get into it. But yeah, like now, that was the last college ball Saturday we're going to have for eight months. I know, crazy. And, and I love bowl season. I always get excited for it. From an entertainment perspective, it's great. But by the end of it, you're like, you're kind of doing the math in your head. And you're like, wait a minute, three and a half hours. Because every, with the exception of that, um, that January 1st slot where there's two games on at the same time, you're pretty much devoting three and a half hours to each game and like yeah. a four day stretch. So it ends up being, like, you look back on those four days, you're like, wow, I've watched a lot of football. Not complaining about that, but it does. It, it is a bit of, it is a lot. And, of course, at the end of bowl season, you know, Texas just trying to do the Texas thing, trying to overshadow all of that. Stunning story. I mean, stunning to see Tom Herman, Tom Herman fired, and then Steve Sarkeesian was reportedly hired, and then he wasn't hired just yet. Thank you, David Pollock, for that. And then he actually was hired um, just a, a massive, massive story, huge shakeup. Just when you think the college, co- the, the coaching carousel has stopped spinning, you get something like that. What, what would you have thought if I had told 2017 Marler, hey, um, in a few years, Tom Herman is going to get replaced by Steve Sarkeesian at Texas? I, see, I would have believed it because I've been on, I've been very high on Steve Sarkeesian the entire time. I, I just, I never understood the 2016 game. He got, he was the scapegoat for the national championship because Bama had a 14 point lead twice and and they lost. And he kind of went away from some of the, like the basics they did on on offense. Um, but like, what people never talked about with that was one Lane Kiffin coming in, showing his ass at, at, like in the middle of the week, and then being asked to leave, and and then saying they parted ways amicably, and then you know. Being thrust into that spotlight, like after like you know trying to rebuild your career, um, and then losing that game, I just I, thought, I always thought it was. And the running back, Bo Scarborough broke his leg. I just I just thought it was. He always got he was the scapegoat for no reason. And then, you know, he goes to Atlanta, and, and you, we've heard people that we work with say that he's not that great of a play caller, and 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 other people across like the country because he's kind of become this like the butt of a joke. And I've never really understood why, outside of the fact that he had a a, a really bad moment. Where yeah. he was fired, and and listen, like I, I don't even remember what year that was at this point. I think it was like what twenty fifteen. Twenty okay, so twenty fifteen, mm-hmm. um, and it was, it was a bad moment. I think ever since then he's done nothing but put his head down and work. Like he he's not he's never been yep. like an overly you know over the top, um, even like on the sidelines. And he has every right to be like like flashy and like you know like you know pumping his fists or any of that kind of stuff. Overly animated. Um, Texas is a big job, and I just I'm really excited. I think he it's awesome to watch somebody get a second chance and then earn an opportunity like that. The stuff with Herman, <laughs> just I don't think there's anybody that would disagree. It's crazy. He is there's I don't think there's anybody outside of his own home that is feeling bad for Tom Herman. Yeah, I mean, fifteen million dollars will ease the blow a little bit as well. He might be the most. 
He's up there for the most unlikable guys in yeah. college football, I think. And I, you see some of the stuff that came out with Ohio State, the riff that he had with Urban Meyer as well. I'm not saying that Urban Meyer is by any means a saint or probably innocent on treating people with full respect. But yeah, Tom Herman, just what a weird run that he had. And good for Sark, who we know that has been, you know, he's been rumored for, you know, jobs like Mississippi State, Michigan State, and Colorado, and South Carolina, and, and even the Auburn thing. And, you know, you just kind of got the feeling that it was going to have to take a really big one. Texas is, of course, a really big one. And it, it makes this this postseason certainly interesting for someone who has put together the two best offenses in school history at Alabama and um, has yeah. had unprecedented success, 24 consecutive games with 35-plus points, a streak that finally ended against Notre Dame where Bama scored 31 points the other night. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to a lot of different things, but I want to have one one more quick question on that, and I promise we're going to get to all the SEC Bowl games. But, Marler, if I'm asking you today, kind of, you know, if there's one or two offensive coordinators who you kind of have in mind for this job that would be ideal, who would you want Saban to go out and get? Um, I like what you said about Jeff Levy. I tell you what, <clears throat> um, going up and get trying to get Kendall Bryles maybe from from Arkansas I, I like what he's been able to do that offense and I think it's like it's more of a Saban style offense as well uh with, with mm-hmm. like what they do the run game um I, you know I, I hate to say this but I, I just I'm telling everyone right now don't rule out Tom Herman's name from from that uh from that rumor mill I'm just just letting you know. Goodness. Yeah. Goodness. It's, I mean, and, and I would hate it. I would hate it. But, um, you know, it's like I always said, I always said when they got Kiffin, when they got Kiffin, I remember saying, uh, it was like, like, I think I put it on Facebook. It was like 2014. And I remember comparing it to, uh, I remember comparing it to, it was like, it's like if that asshole uh, general or, or uh, whatever from the, um, the Patriot, the British guy, they killed Mel Gibson's kid. It's like if he all of a sudden switched sides and was like, "All right, I'm fighting for America now." I'm like, "Oh my god," that's how yeah. I felt when Kevin was hired. So anyway, but that's yeah. I, I like what you said about Jeff Levy. Um, that that's whoever's out at USC. Uh, honestly, I, th- I think being able to go, I'm, I'm, his, I'm drawing a blank on his name now, of course, since we're recording. But um, you're talking about Helton. Clay Clay Helton. I think Clay Helton because if he's gone, I think he's going to be looking for a home, and I think that's that's also a, a reasonable. Um, solution but i'm hearing freddie kitchens a lot which i don't like Ooh, that is uh that is certainly an interesting name there's gonna be a lot of interesting names thrown out there but if the sarkeesian thing taught us anything it's that and even the herman thing as well when he's hired at texas and that looks like a home run obvious hire it's that you we think we have these things figured out and then you just never know how a, a coach is going to fit into a given situation and as we know with saban you got to be able to to work with him and, and understand that there is a certain standard there and he's not going to let you slip up so very interested to see kind of what shakes out with all of that and how it impacts potentially, you know, the college football world and the college football landscape moving forward if Texas is actually indeed finally back. But yeah. we'll, we'll wait and see on that. Tons of bowl games to get to. Great, entertaining four or five days, whatever it's been. I'm blanking at this point. I'm recording on, on Sunday morning. Marler, before we get to all of that... I know that a lot of people over these last four days, maybe maybe New Year's resolution that, that you have is, is you know, trying to eat more Texas beef. I, I feel like that's something that I strive to do on a daily basis. But I, I think that we, in a new year, 2021, if there's one constant that we don't want to get rid of from 2020, I think it's Texas beef. Yeah, I'm going to keep this one short and simple, guys. Go buy some Texas beef. Start your year off right. Not, we're not going to give you a long, a long read today. I'm just going to tell you right now, get your ass to the store. Go fill up that buggy. With some some red, some orange, some whatever whatever color you want to call it, 
Uh, if you get the wing sauce or the hot sauce, get them all uh, and go get yourself some Texas Pete. Start the year off right. Boom. Team that is red hot to end the season. See what I did there? There you go. Um, Texas A&M against UNC. Literally the name what of another a- hot sauce. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll bleep that part. Bleep that part. We didn't mean to put that in there. Um, we're we're kind of I, I feel like I'm still riding a high a little bit off of the Orange Bowl, the game that we watched on Saturday night, Texas A and M UNC, kind of everything that we we hoped and maybe even thought it could be, great thrilling down to the wire game that A and M ends up winning by two touchdowns. In, in my opinion, when people say like oh bowl games outside of playoff don't really matter, I, I don't know man. I looked at that game, I looked at the Georgia game, and I saw teams that were. Putting it all on the line. I thought that was just such a fun game. Aggies finished the, I mean, the year Outback with eight Bowl. consecutive wins. Outback Bowl. Great yeah. game. Great, fantastic game. Um, but just what what a game, what a response from AM down in the fourth quarter. You see that, you know, they, they gave the thumbs down after that touchdown. AM scores 21 unanswered after that to be able to win. Awesome, awesome season for the Aggies. Yeah, it was honestly that one, and it, maybe it was just because it was the end of the year and I was just feeling like sentimental and all that kind of stuff. But that one really. I think, like, was my favorite of the whole entire bowl season, which is really saying something because the Ole Miss-Indiana game was awesome. The Georgia game was incredible. Yeah. Uh, I've never cheered like that for, for Georgia. But the A&M thing, just, it honestly, it, it meant a little bit more, uh, like, to me because I was so – it's a team that really, like, despite all of the, the pessis, or pes, wow, the pessimistic attitudes toward them, um, you know, all, all of, like, just the negative – comments we heard at the start of the season that really we always hear at the start of the season about how a and always hyped up way too much and they lose and and i remember even saying on this podcast like you know they haven't changed like they lost to bama by this Same. and blah blah and, mm-hmm. and it was awesome to watch them turn that around just again like the thing same thing we said about sark just kind of putting their head down and 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 just getting the work done and winning eight straight sec games uh, finishing nine and one, Kellen Mon being just absolutely incredible for that team, a great leader. Um, I don't know if he's going to come back for a thirteenth and final year. I kind of hope he does, to be honest. But it's just, it was a great team, and I thought of this last night. Like I don't know if there's a team in the SEC that really knows who they are more than A and M, and honestly, maybe maybe even the country. A and M's like A and M's like if you've ever dated someone older than you, like like in someone in their late thirties or forties, like when you're in your twenties. Um, I don't like this. Yeah, they, they are. They're exa- That's exactly who A and M is. Like they, they don't have any time for like any like or any games. Like this is like they know what they want. They know who they are, and they're just that's they're staying right there in that lane. And you saw it last night when they were able to come in there and and you know kind of got like they were down late and and I think I was even starting to worry. But I tell you, who did not get worried was Jimbo A and M and that offense, and they just do what they do. Devon A. Chain comes in for the injured Isaiah Spiller. That run, holy cow. One of the best runs we've seen, I think, in the SEC this year. Certainly 76 yards out where it looks like he's going to get tripped up. Maybe five-yard gain. The balance that he has. Just an unbelievable play. Play of the game for, for A&M. And you're right. I mean, that's that's who A&M is. And I, I just think A. Chain and Anaya Smith were such a joy to watch this year. And it was fun watching this team kind of on the national stage where I saw as soon as UNC's going up, everybody's saying, oh, A&M deserved to be in the playoff, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, nah, just just t- take a breath. Let's let's wait for 60 minutes of football to actually play out and watch A&M do what it does, which is win games by double digits by kind of suffocating yep. you and taking over late. And by the end of that game, they're like, wait a minute, this was a really close game. Actually, kind of didn't feel like it in those last few minutes because AM had a different gear. They found that different gear this year. It was the gear that wasn't in existence for the first 
two and a quarter parts years of the Jimbo Fisher era. And I, I just think that A&M was more fun than people realized. And for yeah. people that the entire year were waiting to find something wrong with them and saying, well, they don't do this, they don't do that. They don't stretch you downfield the way that Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State does. Exactly, exactly. I, like, you know, they knew who they were. It, it reminds me of that, that team, and I'm not saying they were as dominant as these teams were, but like it reminds me so much of of like the twenty early two, early twenty tens Bama, and then and then twenty seventeen Georgia, and just being like oh, yeah. absolutely methodical in the run game and 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 being com- completely committed to it, and then just being obnoxiously efficient on third downs and and, and just and moving the ball, um, and just kind of like you said, like you said, suffocating, and that's how that defense played it a lot of times, but just like this very slow. Not like a death by a thousand paper cuts type thing, but a very slow death they were they were giving to other teams. College Game Day said before the game Ugh. earlier in the day that they only played in close games. Those this ridiculous. is just proof that people still don't know what A and M is or A&M watch won the games. Seven in a row. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like A and M won seven in a row by double digits ten this season. Seven in a seven row in by a row. double digits. Hadn't happened since nineteen ninety two. I mean, they they, they they were a team that, that took over. And the one game that they didn't win by double digits during that win streak, which was at the start of it, was the Florida game, of course, that they won on a last-second field goal. I, you know, I, I look at this team, and I, I thought that A&M deserved a playoff bid going into this. And I, I made the case for why I thought what we saw lately from A&M should have mattered to the selection committee yep. over what we saw on conference championship weekend with Notre Dame. And that would have been true even with the loss. Even if UNC had won that game, I still would have come away saying, you know what, what A&M did, their body of work, it made more sense to put them in the playoff. Obviously, A&M wanted to be able to show the selection committee, hey, we actually were this good of a team. And now A&M is going to finish. I mean, here's the weird thing. They're going to finish ahead of Notre Dame in the yeah. AP poll. Are they going to finish... Are they going to finish ahead of Clemson no. is the interesting question. Probably Voter, not. Because voters will just give Clemson a free pass no matter what, especially with Trevor Lawrence. Um, I, I just There's no way they'll finish ahead of them. But, you know, I think I think what's really interesting about that, too, is, one, that backdoor cover was absolutely effing beautiful. Um, Ooh, but yeah. they, when they talk about, uh, like, we, we brought this up last week, when Vegas even had, like, the hypothetical line between A&M and Notre Dame, it was even. And, and I thought that, that said a lot as well. But you know when you talk about we talk about A and M's team this year, you talk about game day. You you brought this up uh, a minute ago, how they only play in close games. This makes me so mad, and, and I, I think about this a lot because I, I just cover SEC football. It, it would be it's so difficult to have to have like your finger on the pulse of all the other conferences and things that are going on and, and know what you're really talking about. But when you're at that level on college game day and you hear somebody like David Pollock say that LSU game was close and then you look at the numbers and it's like they had 267 total yards of offense for LSU, 81 of that was on the last drive and they scored with 38 seconds to go to cut it to 20 to 7. It, it makes me so mad and then he also had the tweet later about like he heard, he heard that Sark is not, it might be staying and I, I, I tweeted this out and I think it's a valid question. Like has he, has he been right about anything all year besides his car? David Pollock just taking L's after L's. And like, look, I, I'm not going to sit here. I, I don't really like hating on media members, but David Pollock has said a lot of really dumb things during during the last like two weeks or so. And especially yeah. too, he also like called out the Big Ten and said like, we know the Big Ten's not good because Penn State, Michigan, blah, blah, That's blah, so are good. Which is like the laziest take ever when we haven't had these non-conference games. That's the that's the problem I have when people say like, well, who are the best four teams? And David Pollock thinks he knows the answer to that all the time when it's like, all right, if you know who the best four teams are, you would never predict a game wrong. Like we right. learn things. We see 60 minutes of football. We actually have to watch the games. And those who watched A&M saw a, a rare breed and it took a while so for cool. maybe people nationally to kind of understand. But man, it was, it was fun. And they, I, I, I get it. 
Go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say I, I don't I don't know if people will understand this season. I, I think I think they were criminally underrated, um, and I think so was Kellen Mond's performance this year. And I think it's one of those things we're going to look back here in a couple of years. And I I've said the same thing about how the Florida's offense was because the way they they finished this year and they got overshadowed by Bama a lot. We're gonna look back in a couple of years and be like, man, that was a really good team. Like nine yeah. and one. Like they like the way they won those games. That was a really good team, and and I just don't think they were appreciated enough. So A and M is going to lose. Um, they're going to lose some production off that offensive mm-hmm. line. It's it's inevitable. We don't know how many of those guys are going to the NFL. But they had they had four seniors on that offensive line with the the free year of eligibility. We'll wait and see how all that shakes out. But 156 career starts on that offensive line. The Maroon Goons were were fantastic this year. But the guys that we we know are coming back. You got Jalen Watermeyer. You got Isaiah Spiller. You've got A Chain. You've got Anaya Smith, and who knows, like you said, if Kalamon comes back for a, ter- for a 13th year, also going to get Baylor Cup potentially healthy yeah. if he can actually stay upright. Like A&M is a team moving forward where you're just like, wow, the foundation looks looks really good. How about Jimbo outrunning the Gatorade back? He said, <laughs> he's like, I haven't run that fast in 25 years, and he pulled a hammy afterwards. I believe Jimbo when he says that, absolutely. He, I was very impressed with how he was able to get away from that, um, you know, I will say I don't know who was running after him, but we got to we got to work on that speed in the offseason. Oh yikes! Not not the best look. Not the best look for the ACC either, who uh, capped off an zero and six postseason. We were talking about the ACC, you know, coming in with both playoff teams, with having two team playoff bid, and then both of their playoff teams get demolished. I'm not a big on like the the bowl season justifying kind of like who a conference was during the regular season but it's a little bit different this year when we didn't have that non-conference play sample size so just not the best I, look overall for the ACC I'm I'm usually not either um like we'll have to make graphics for it obviously because of the nature of the job but I'm usually not um that big into it in bowl season unless somebody's going 0 and 6 cuz then then yeah it does look really bad in your conference and i tell you what if you have 15 teams in your conference this year and and you only had 6 go to bowls and then they all lost yeah it's not a great look not a great look at all. Sam Howell, I thought, was just so good, though. He's so fun to watch. He's he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks returning in all of college football. I floated out the top who I think are the top five quarterbacks returning in 2021. Georgia fans were not pleased to see that I didn't have JT Yeah, that was Daniels weird. I don't know why you group. didn't do that. I don't know. I, you, know you had, you had I, DJ Ungal, what I mean, Ugalele, U- U- and U- you, didn't, you didn't have JT Daniels. I was very surprised. I know, and we'll, we'll wait and see kind of all that all that shakes out. But I, I do think that he's he's one of the best quarterbacks in college football, just probably just right on the edge there. But Georgia fans are are very passionate about that. Sam Howell definitely in that group. The Rose Bowl, not nearly uh, as good of a game I thought as as A and M and UNC, but a game of course of great significance. Alabama eight title births in fourteen years of the Saban era. I mean, that's just stupid. It's just stupid. 35-point streak, as we talked about, came to an end at 24, but you still win that game comfortably. And there was never really a point in that game where you thought, oh, Notre Dame's going to be able to come back and win. Staying closer than we thought, yeah, you had this game predicted correctly. You said Notre Dame was going to keep it closer. And up until that Ian Book interception that I think he threw to, it was to Christian Harris where he forced that throw, you're like, hey, Notre Dame's kind of like hanging around, doing something yeah. that not a lot of teams have been able to do against Alabama. But ultimately, this was going to be an Alabama comfortable victory, pretty much no matter what. Yeah, I think I think the interception was Jordan Battle, but I remember um, when when 
that in the second half, like I, I honestly, I thought Notre Dame was going to keep this close, and uh, I think you ended up being way, way more spot on about this than I did, which was in saying that you know it was going to be a backdoor cover, or something which was, again another beautiful backdoor cover. I hit both of those, thank God. Um, but I, I honestly, I thought they were going to keep it a little bit closer uh, and do some things that you know, you know, with, like with the run game and try to take the ball away from Alabama. And they had a few long drives. Um, and I thought they played pretty well. You have to give them credit for the fact that, you know, they held they held Bama under 500 yards. Uh, they got after Mac pretty well, which was impressive. And then and they were able to, uh, you know, I mean, holding them under 31 points doesn't seem like a big deal. But when you're the only team to do it in the last two years, I think it says yeah. something about, about the defense. So I thought that was impressive from Notre Dame. Um, Bama, you want to say it's like they had too many weapons, but just it's that three-headed monster. The three-headed monster, it was, it was interesting to see how they opened the game. By kind of spreading Notre Dame out wide and, and getting some of these screens to Miller Forstall um, for some reason, and then uh, and kind of waiting to, to yeah as they always do, um, and then and then kind of waiting to get um, you know Devonte involved, and then yeah Devonte Devonte Smith you know kind of I don't say taken over, but the three touchdowns it was an awesome performance. Um, Najee Harris hurdling that human being, Oof. I have never reacted that way to a play in my life and i'm not exaggerating this is not like you know me embellishing i i i've never responded that way <laughs> i'm glad that nobody could see me because the the guttural noise that came out of my body in celebration was something else that was a if you don't even have a rooting interest in this game you probably freaked out while watching that i mean it was it was like the equivalent of you know sean kemp dunking on chris gatlin it was it was something like Holy crap! This this you, you just don't see superhuman moments no. like that out of someone. It's one of the two best hurdles I think I've ever seen in college football, and it's probably you know you can debate which one which one is better. It might be the single best hurdle, the Saquon Barkley hurdle against Iowa back in 2017, where he just like kept running afterwards. Also very freakish, different where Najee is able to to pick up like 50 yards after that or something like that yeah. as well. Common denominator between those two hurdles. Charles Huff was the running backs coach. Fun Ooh. fact. Um, imagine watching that game. This is what I kept thinking about. Imagine watching that game with your Heisman vote already in if you didn't vote for Devontae. And there watching is. some of the things that he did. And you're just like, oh, I might have made a mistake. There, there are going to be people that, like Dan Orlovsky was talking about this. And he said he voted for Devontae. Yeah, he basically without, just admitted Without it. saying it. But he also, I've heard him say... That Justin Fields is the best player in college football, and that Trevor Lawrence was the best player in college football yep. within the past month. So, thought that was interesting. Um, but yeah, the, I just and we're, we don't need to get into the whole thing with the Heisman. We need to talk about this off air um, because it looks like it is going to be Devontae Smith that's going to win just from the the numbers that are coming out in Vegas, especially. But yeah, I agree. Like I, I don't. He, if you didn't vote for him, and I would, I would, I mean, just name names, man. I want, I want to know. I want to see exactly uh, which a holes out here were like, you know what, like, like, because I said this last week. I really thought Trevor Lawrence had the best chance to win because of this groundswell of, of, of like, you know, um, support that he was getting for this basically a, a lifetime achievement award, right? Like a career award that, like, he, and he's the best player. He is the best player going into the draft. But the best player in college football for what they've done in college football this year is Devontae Smith. And I, I would love to see, unless you voted for that linebacker from Tulsa, uh, Zavin. Um, Zavin Collins. Yeah, like, like unless you voted yeah. for him, I, I, can't, I can't get behind you on, on that vote. Because it's just, it, it seems like it's so, and it's not because of the bowl game. Like, it, he just did what he always yeah. does. And he's done every single week, so. 
I, I agree with that. Like the Lawrence thing, one quick note on that. The the people that are saying, well, he, you know, if they're, we should just give it to him as a lifetime achievement yeah. type award. Like I, I'm, I'm, I've never been really big on that. Um, even in this weird year where missing game, I think missing games still it matters no matter what for the Heisman, right. right? Like two two Heisman winners in the last forty years missed a game. Only one missed a Power Five game, and it was only one power five game Trevor right. Lawrence missed two power five games including the Notre Dame game the biggest game of Clemson's regular season he's not in the top 10 in quarterback rating yards per attempt or passing touchdowns Is passing that touchdowns that's that was I yeah so that was as of last night so, so like go ahead quarterback rating and yards per attempt are are important with somebody like Lawrence who missed those games because those measure efficiency and like how good have you been in the time that you've actually played where some of the cumulative stuff I get it but that's what I think you can't just like Wait, he's not even in the top ten in like two very very important categories. I don't think that he had this far and away better year where you would look at that and say like, so if there are people that are voting for him, they are doing it because of a lifetime achievement. Yeah. They're not doing it because of what he did in twenty twenty. Well, and, and then again, of course it would it would be up to the Coachwell media and Coachwell in general to screw something up like this. And I'm and I'm not saying that he's going to win at this point because like I said, Vegas moved that line. From 140 to minus 280, um, from Thursday to Friday, and I was like, all right, the writing's on the wall for that. But leave it, leave it to us in the cultural media to to sit here and, and overthink something and, and try to you know make make a case for something where there isn't one. And and you brought up you brought up those numbers. See, I, I was banging this drum all last week because if you want to say he he did like you know he deserves the Heisman and, and the stats are only different because he missed those games. Totally get it. I totally I totally understand he missed two games, so that's why. In this case, he would have less passing yards, and in this case, this is before the bowl games, he would have had 10 less touchdowns than Mac Jones and 20 less touchdowns than Kyle Trask. But the issue for me was, just like you said, even before this bowl game, right, his QBR, his yards per attempt, and his passer rating were all three of those stats were, were behind Mac Jones and, uh, and Kyle Trask, which means, to me, one, he did it against worse competition, and two, you know, like he had he had – even in the numbers like that didn't reflect having to have a ten game full you know, schedule and body of work, it still his numbers weren't as good. So I, I just don't understand where where people could have actually done the mental gymnastics to talk themselves into that. Speaking of Clemson, what was your reaction to watching what Ohio State did to Clemson? Uh, worried about Ohio State, um, and then two. I mean, like <laughs> Ohio State's a good team, man. They're a really good team. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Uh, I still stand by everything I've said about them getting to the playoff. Um, I don't know. I, I, all the feelings I have towards that, I, I, I was very surprised that offensive line and how much they were able to beat up Trevor Lawrence and get yeah. after Trevor Lawrence. I, I didn't really think, you know, that, those are, that receiving core, like, you know, they have, um, who's number three? Um, Olave, Garrett Wilson. No, 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 for Clemson. Um, is ETN and what? Artifis Amari Scott? Rogers. Amari is Rogers. Is Amari Rogers, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think the Artifis Scott was from before. But, yeah, Amari Rogers, that, that like, big three and, like, that receiver, he is not Justin Ross. You know, he's no, not he's even, not. like, a Mike You're Williams right. or something like that. And so I, I thought it was interesting that they were able to kind of take that away, but also not as surprised, even though that, that Ohio State secondary has struggled. I just will stand by everything I've said about them getting to the playoff. And it's never been about them not being talented. It's like, I, you know, I'm sure these yeah. words are going to get twisted coming up this week. It's never, been that, it's never been about them not being talented. Everyone knows how talented that roster is. It's about them having bye weeks before every game and then also playing two games in, you know, since November 21st. And I tell you what, Ryan Day, if you're listening, that whole comment, that's just absolute 
comment you made about how we got a chance to write one of the best uh, stories ever told in college football. Have you not heard a lot of stories, sir? Like, what are you talking? <laughs> about? This is not. This is not like. This is not some rags to riches against all, oh my god against all odds the team with LSU's the second story yeah right the, the second most talented roster in the country with four and five stars everywhere and a former number one overall player in the country at quarterback gonna be a top five pick man can't believe you guys were able to navigate through that you know the have like bye week schedule uh, and play a bunch of two and five teams it's just incredible incredible strength from your team 2013 Auburn better story as well sorry yeah this was, is incredible. I, the, the Ohio State performance uh, looked like a team in mid, mid-season form because that's kind that's of what's happening. Are. Exactly. At, and they're not going to have point. any injuries. And, and listen, Trey Sermon's a monster. And that D-line's going to be a fan fits all day. Like, like, all day. And Ohio State, if I was betting on it, flat out. Like, flat out, I would put money on Ohio State. Because I just, of the hook, or would you bet it if... So, it's. It, I think it's... I saw the 7.5. It's up Would to you eight. bet it with the 7? Oh, it's up to 8. Would, I would you bet I would, it if it came down that. to 6? Uh yeah, I like I would I think that from the value standpoint, Ohio State money line is the I I have them I, I bet on them, I didn't bet the money line against Clemson, damn it! But I bet I bet them to cover the seven and a half. A seven and a half against that team is way too much, and and I think that, you know, you're right. They're hitting midseason form and they're fully healthy, and and I think that's such a difference. And and the only thing that would change my confidence in that, and we'll talk about this a lot later in the week, yeah. um, is if Jalen Waddle suits up. Then, then I would Ooh. I would be very very confident that Bama's gonna play, but I, I don't know. Or Bama's gonna win, but I don't know. Unreal performance by Justin Fields. Unreal, yep. given what he was dealing with with the rib injury. That hit looked got that very shot, painful. huh? Oh man, that that shot made all the difference. I don't know what it was, but yeah, uh, Ohio State has has some some scary balance now with Trey Sermon running like that. Uh, going to be an, a, a very interesting national championship. I'm looking forward to this game a lot, and we're going to have a lot more coverage on all of that. Uh, we're going to be recording a podcast where we preview all things national championship. We're going to have great content up on SDS. So if you're not subscribed to all of our sorts of social media and all of that stuff, definitely make sure that you do that right just now. Peach Bowl, Justin Fields' former team, uh, George Bulldogs. My goodness, what a game against Cincinnati. Awesome. Maybe the best bowl game of, of the year. It's certainly up there. Certainly best, up there. Best fourth quarter for sure. Best fourth quarter for sure, absolutely. There were some grind moments <laughs> before that. Georgia rallies back from down double digits in the fourth quarter against a legitimately good Cincinnati team. I, I came away really impressed with both teams. Uh, obviously not as much on the Cincinnati offensive side, but Cincinnati defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman, I mean, they are talking about it throughout the game, and it seems very inevitable. That guy's going to get a big-time job in a hurry. He should be coaching an SEC defense like yesterday. Yeah, he's. I mean, they, they were... They were as advertised on defense, and I, I kind of thought that they would get exposed in some capacity because of the, you know, we brought it up on the on the preview podcast. Uh, Pro Football Focus had them ranked first overall in uh, in their I guess their defensive grading uh, numbers in pass coverage and rush defense, and then overall defense. And I thought that at some point one of those things would kind of, um, you know, fall by the wayside or, or, like I said, get exposed. But they were great against the run. I mean, Georgia had 18 yards rushing at half. Wow. Yeah, that is that is darn impressive. Kirby tried to give the game away. He really did. He, he did once again. Kirby giving away games in Atlanta is just a a yearly a yearly occurrence that we can always look forward to. Calling a timeout before punting on fourth and three with three minutes left was is, that. I didn't know if that was me or not. I was like, what, I, what is he doing? And he uh, still punted. 
Yeah, it's it's one thing to punt in that spot and say, all right, our defense has been lights out. But to then burn a timeout, I think, was the part where you're like, wait a minute. This guy clearly messed up this situation. And the kick bailed him out, of course, in an unbelievable game-winning kick. Ice water in the veins. I mean, that Georgia-producing awesome. kickers. Holy cow. When's, when's Georgia not going to have a kicker? That's, yeah, that's, that's my a good question. question. And Jake, Jake Camardo was pretty fun to watch, too, because he's been incredible all year. I think he was second in the country in yards per punt. But he went full on 2018, Jay Camarda, um, and was just booming. <laughs> like he either either was booming balls into into the end zone, like late in the, late in that game, um, or he had that really bad shank in the first yeah, quarter he had a as terrible well. Shank it went on. four yards. It was like uh, basically ever since you called him out that one time, you're like, "What's George's punter doing? Like he's yeah. terrible." Like two years ago, <laughs> basically ever since then, I think you you woke him up and he's been he's been lights out with the exception of, of that shank. The defense also bailed Georgia out big time. What yeah. a performance down the stretch against a really good proven quarterback, Desmond Ritter, Aziz Ojolari, and Jordan Davis were unreal. Those guys got after it. They looked like they were possessed. Don't tell me bowl games don't matter and these yeah. guys don't care. They were so engaged. Tyreek Stevenson with that pass oh breakup that on third down. What I mean, probably if that that's probably the the play of the game. Tyreek the freak, the recovery speed that you saw on that play where he just went to the second level. A lot of people were criticizing Cincinnati afterwards saying, "Why don't you run the ball, try and take more time off the clock?" <laughs> Man, they're they're like a an all-America level pl- defensive play away from being able to close out that game and he might have even scored on that play had Stevenson not been able to recover. I thought those were so so key for Georgia. What a great defensive performance and way to finish the season for that group. I so like peel behind the onion over here. I, I was it's January first, so I, I I had gotten up. I got on the little Peloton, and it was in, the ride was ending as soon as the game was starting. I was so fired up and um, was like doing some some house cleaning, and, and also so Allie went up the street with with chips and queso, um, the dogs, not the food, and then went up to uh, our neighbor's <laughs> house and was like hanging out. They did a little brunch, and she came home um, like you know trying to get home in time for the Bama game. She came home in time like late in the third quarter, early fourth quarter, and I was just beside myself screaming at the TV at like almost every play. I was so engaged and excited, and she was like, is Bama on early? Like, what is happening? Like, what is going on? And she came in right around that that Tyreek uh, Stevenson play because that was just an absolute incredible, you know, some like somewhat lucky because of where he put his hand, but awesome. Just an awesome, awesome play. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. And um, and I tell you what, like that, that fourth quarter – it, it was awesome to see. It took it took them, I guess, let me try to add this up, 12, 12 games to, to prove Uncle Chris right. But that, that's how the fourth quarter of that game, that's how I thought that defense would play all year. You know what I mean? Like, they, they took over. They put the clamps down. And they were they were just not going to get beat. And Jordan Davis, please, God, stay in college forever because I do not want to stop watching you uh, play college football. That was – he's incredible to watch. And, and yeah, like you said, Aziz Ojolari was, was fantastic as well. But the entire defense – was just great. It was just absolutely great in the fourth quarter, and 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 finally giving. I mean, I don't know how many shots they had to give JT Daniels, but he he finally got one on the last the last uh, drive there, and it was it was a great great game. JT Daniels versus an elite defense. I thought mixed reviews, mixed reviews. Like threw yeah. for a ton of passing yards, but I thought Cincinnati did a lot of things to really confuse him, and he looked like a guy who was having some difficulty dissecting blitzes and coverages and you're reminded oh yeah this is a guy who did the jake bentley thing skipped his senior year of high school missed an entire season last year and has essentially had like one season like one plus season of of full college football where he's been the guy 
And I thought there were moments where he looked like that. That's that was obvious. Of course, he can stretch the field unlike no Georgia quarterback on that roster can, and that is what made them different in that game. And there are plays that he makes where you know, like the diving catch that Pickens had, where it's just an absurd, like very typical George Pickens type of play. But I, I thought that Daniels, you kind of saw the good, you kind of saw the bad, right? Like that was what you would hope to kind of see down the stretch late where he starts making conversions. But at the same time, there's room to improve for JT Daniels. Like he is by no means a, a finished product, I think, looking at him. Though when you have the raw tools like that, obviously it makes us think that the sky's limit. What did you o- kind of overall think of his, his potential? Because I feel like the JT Daniels hype train and the Georgia hype train kind of coincide this offseason. Yeah, I agree. I think what, what I my immediate thought was, you know, he this is what it kind of looks like when he we like give him time to play a full season. Like I mean, like it, it, he's he's unbelievably talented. So the, my my takeaway from the potential is, yeah, I mean, he's the potential to be an incredible incredible player. I think you know I don't know what the draft class looks like next year. Um, I would assume uh, what's the kid the kid out of Oregon? Sam Howell. Kavon, no, Kavon uh, Thibodeau is, is probably gonna be your number one overall pick. But JT Daniels has a very good chance to be, you know, a, a first round, top ten, top five type of pick with the kind of numbers and, and, and season he could have and the talent around him, um, in my opinion. But I think for this year, we probably jumped the gun a little bit too soon on on how great of a quarterback he was and the JT. You know, like he played. I mean, the, the last three games they played was South Carolina, Mississippi State, and Mizzou, and you know those ga- those teams aren't all terrible. But I think. He finally saw some really good competition and and some good competition that got a little bit of tape on him and was able to like prepare, um, you know, for him because the, what was his what was his calling card or what was his best, you know, attribute going into this game? They kept bringing up was third and Daniels and he starts the game off I think in the first half zero for three, three incompletions on third downs and it just it just shows you like. You know, once teams are able to start prepping for you a little bit um, and scheming against you, I think it'll be interesting to see now now what his and and Todd Munkin's. Uh, you know, rebuttal to that would be and how they are planning to attack that because I, I think he's got all the talent in the world and around him, but he, he did not look great at times this weekend. For for what it's worth, the not having JT Daniels in the top five quarterbacks, so not to keep bringing this up, but the DJ Uyangalele DJ Uy thing, I had him in the top five because I saw him play against a really good Notre Dame defense mm-hmm. and put up a ton of yards. And that, I thought, was the, the difference maker where when you saw Daniels play against a really good de- defense, he did some things well. He absolutely did. But I thought he had moments of where you know he showed that inexperience with connecting on some of those intermediate plays. Got a little greedy. Um, got a little greedy got, on some of those throws, which I, which I love to see. And that's what they were missing from that offense. Hey, also, mm-hmm. I've, I've been hard on him. But shout out Stetson Bennett the fourth for, or for coming in there and, uh, and hitting, what was it, um, he, he it was it wasn't a third down conversion, but he had a, he had a nice completion. Mailman, the the storyline that we mustn't forget of twenty twenty, uh, however fun it was. UGA, oh. I mean, UGA sort of turned the SEC bowl season around, um, and you know UGA is able to, to to get this this huge key win to end the year, and what they did post cocktail party. Georgia fans are going to be feeling good. They got a lot of offseason momentum. All these different things. Um, and it was, by the way, it was looking like a one and three start with two New Year's Six bowl losses for the SEC <laughs> with MSU, a team who got into a brawl after yeah. being a lone win for the SEC. And then UGA wins, and, UG, and then the SEC gets four wins after that, all of which were against well, ranked opponents. I kept looking well. at it too and thinking that I, I just I thought that the Saturday games, besides A and M, were going to be were going to be trouble because I you know yeah. Ole Miss is a is a we'll get to it obviously they were. A, 
almost a double-digit underdog, and then Kentucky, I thought I thought NC State was going to be Kentucky, but yeah, it was it was a it was a great way to start the new year and, and turn the corner there. One question for you as we transition to these ne- this next game, UGA that was first first really good win all year. Um, whose season would you rather have, Georgia season or Florida season? <laughs> I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> I just I like. I don't. I'm not doing. I'm not answering that. I don't, I don't know. I, I, Let's I'm just we'll move on to Florida then. Yeah, we'll move on to Florida because we know that uh, Florida and Georgia Twitter will be all over that this entire they offseason. Insane. There's no doubt about that. The Cotton Bowl, the first SEC bowl game. Woof. Oklahoma just put it on a Florida team that, um, if Florida was at full strength, I don't know that they beat Oklahoma. I obviously I think it's a lot closer, and I'm not saying that that's. 100% the, the reason that they lost that game. You see some of the things that Oklahoma was doing defensively, and they looked like they were really confusing Kyle Trask, and it would have been some tight windows to throw into. But I hated that for Kyle Trask. I, I absolutely hated that. I think we're, we're kind of in, in agreement with watching the way that he struggled in that first quarter where he was bad. I mean, he was bad. He obviously wasn't on the same page as some of those receivers. We're talking about a quarterback who relies so heavily on those anticipation routes. And when it wasn't there, it looked really, really bad. Obviously, when you lose your top four pass catchers, I don't care who you are, you're probably going to look bad. If Pat Mahomes loses his top four pass catchers and finds that out in a week before a game, um, it's probably going to show up on on a given Sunday. A ton of people calling out Kyle Trask, of course. (sighs) And I, I, you know, I wasn't really, not really a fan of that. And I'll I'll defend him. We do this weird thing with preseason confirmation bias with players. Where if a player catches us by surprise during the season, some of us don't like that because maybe it makes us look wrong. And then the second they have a bad game, it's, see, they weren't that good all along. And it's like, well, this is a guy who started 22 games and he had 61% passing in 19 of them. And he had 58% passing in all of them. He had multiple touchdown passes in all but two of those games that he started. Kyle Trask was an excellent SEC quarterback. And he had two bad games. He had two bad games. And the fact that it happened on this stage to end his career, it's going to make people feel a little bit differently about him. But I hated it. I just, I hated it for him. Well, it, so here's my thing with that. And, and I, I've like, I don't know how Florida fans have have taken this, like, or there's been like this, like, I don't know, um, mis, misperception, I guess is what I'll say. Like, I, I've said for most of the year that Kyle Trask should have been ahead of Mac Jones and the Heisman, Right. Um, made graphics about it, posted them, and and people, <laughs> I think just because of the nature of where my fandom lies, uh, kind of assumed that I was just I was like pulling for Mac, uh, for Mac. This trash thing, he, like he has he's limited in terms of his his like physical gifts, right? Like and he he doesn't have the best arm. He he's not mobile at all. I I don't know what kind of quarterback he'll be at the next level. He was an outstanding quarterback in the SEC this year and last year, and and was just. You know, like against everyone, like all season long, everyone's saying he wasn't that great besides Florida fans, right? Like, oh, Kyle Trash. And like, I hate that's his last name because it's just one letter and people just immediately ran with it um, yep. just for social media purposes. But Trask has been outstanding all year. And and I, I'm not ever going to sit here and say these opt-outs are, you know, cowards or they, they're sellouts or, they, you know, they shouldn't even... Um, you know, they, they're quitters or whatever, because you should make the best business opportunity and, and decision for you, especially when you've been making millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars for someone else for the last three to four years. 
That being said, I hated that this was how he had to go out with his top four players out. And everybody that said it doesn't matter, the opt-outs don't matter, you're out of your mind. I, I said this, I said this to Bama fans, and and I, I'll stand by it. And like like he had a bad game regardless. Three interceptions in the first quarter is unacceptable and it's terrible. He got benched pretty much for from Jones. I get it. I, I totally get it. And there's nothing from this game that is making me think that he ha- he's didn't have a bad game. I'm not making excuses for him. But I'm saying right now, if Alabama had their top four players out, right, and I was trying to explain this to them, if they had their top four pass catchers out, and you're telling me they wouldn't be complaining, knowing Bama fans especially wouldn't be complaining about how the opt-outs affected the game, those top four pass catchers would have been Jalen Waddell, who is out, Devontae Smith, John Mechie, and Najee Harris. You tell me what that offense looks like without those four players. Now, those receivers didn't help him a lot, and, and he wasn't completely accurate sometimes. But it's still, like, he deserved better than that to go out on on what is, he, he will be, I hope he's remembered great, like, you know, like, with with a lot of positive uh, memories, I think, you know, from the fan base. But I wonder what that looks like, because you've, you're talking about a program that has just an incredible list of, of quarterbacks with Tebow and Werfel and Spurrier and, you know, all those guys from the 90s and just Jesse Palmer's, you know, face scruff, all that I wonder where Trask falls in that line of, of quarterbacks, and I hope it's somewhere up, up near the top. Yeah, I, I think he will as well, and I think that once people once people let the dust settle on this game, yeah. they'll have a different sort of understanding and appreciation of Kyle Trask. Remember in the beginning of the year when it was Anthony Triash, Pro Football Focus, said that Kyle Trask isn't even an elite SEC quarterback? You well, brought this up every week. Yeah, uh, of course. So he put together his All-America team, and who was the third team quarterback? It was Kyle Trask. Like, Shocking. so, so to, yeah, I mean, so the people who are like hoping or, or for whatever reason rooting against this kid in a weird way or like assuming he's going to fail or that he's not good, that came out before the bowl game, of course. But I, I think that we just, we, we do this weird thing with preseason confirmation bias. And I agree with you. I think that he deserves to be remembered for having one of the, the great seasons that we've seen in the 21st century from an SEC quarterback. Yep. Thoughts on Dan Mullen saying that the 2020 Florida season ended 11 days ago. He's an idiot. I just, you know, I'm just tired of defending it. I mean, like, even though I haven't defended him all year, the fact that well, we're not even talking about Grantham. I mean, like, like the, Kyle Trash, Kyle, wow, Kyle Trask got like all this. Um, by the way, I just put a piece of gum in. Don't get mad, but that, that's why I had that little like hiccup on the word. I was not trying to call him Kyle Trash. Um, Kyle Trask has like he got all the headlines from this game, from you know, like a national perspective because of the three interceptions. Todd Grantham needs to go, and the fact that he is not gone and he's being defended by Dan Mullen is way more egregious and offensive than what he just said about the 2020 team, you know, that ended 11 days ago. I think the most embarrassing part of this loss for Florida, you're talking about that it was the worst loss they'd had in how many years, or was it ever? Oh, it might have been the worst. Was it the worst bowl game loss they've ever had? I don't know if it was... I don't think it was the worst loss that they've had that they've had ever. I think they've lost by more than 35 points before. Yeah, I, I feel like every, every program in the country all... No matter how good they are, at one point in like the nineteen like tens or like you know nineteen seventeen, they got beat by like an all white Ace Hardware group that we always talk about, like like one hundred and eight to four. Um, so I don't know if that was the case for Florida, but like I know that this was an embarrassing loss. That Bama game was close, and they lost by six. But you're talking about a defense that's given up over 50, 50 points in the last two games and over six hundred yards of offense in the last two games. And talking four hundred and thirty five yards rushing, and I've never even heard of this, Connor. I've never even heard this stat. Oklahoma averaged over 10 yards per play rushing and passing. 
over ten yards of rush and ten yards of pass. I've never even heard of that, and I just I don't I don't understand how you could go to bat for them. I know Mullen fired two other guys, but the worst part about this game for Florida fans, in my opinion, was it wasn't how Kyle Trask looked or Grantham's defense looked. Is they made zero effort to come into this game prepared. They gave like Dan Mullen gave zero effort, in my opinion, on having this team prepared to win win a game. And his comments afterwards, I think, kind of solidified that. It was weird. It was weird. I get why you try and say that. Maybe you say that internally and say, look, we have a, a great opportunity to kind of turn the page to next year. And we know that with our scholarship limitation, with 60 scholarship players available, this is an opportunity for you young guys. If you say that privately in the locker room, yep. I think that's perfectly fine. But the way that Dan Mullen has reacted post-loss this year, it, it hasn't been a good look. It just Florida. hasn't. Florida, Florida fans might continue to defend this, but... It hasn't been necessarily the the attitude that a great coach has. I mean, picture if we're talking about you know some of the great coaches in this sport. If we're talking about Dabo or Saban or even like Lincoln Riley acting the way that that Dan Mullen has post loss, where it's just like, man, you got to have some sort of accountability. I get it. You're frustrated in the heat of the moment. Yeah, but th- that accountability needs needs to be there. And accountability it kind of ties in with the Todd Grantham thing. If, if we're trying to sit here today and make the excuse that Florida isn't going to allow Dan Mullen to make this decision because of the buyout, and I saw that going around there, and there are a lot of people saying, hey, you know, you need to be able to, you need to, be able to give Dan Mullen a break for this because it's Florida who doesn't want to pay three and a half million bucks, whatever it is, to fire Todd Grantham. That's a load of crap. Man, that's a load of crap. If you're believing that, if you're sitting here believing that Todd that Todd Grantham is going to have a job because Dan Mullen has no power in this situation, Dan Mullen can't walk into Scott Strickland's office and say, we need to make a change to the defensive coordinator position because we just got roasted on national television again. That can't happen. That doesn't happen. Dan Mullen, if he actually wants Todd Grantham gone, can make that happen. I fully believe that. And if you're still under the impression that Florida doesn't have the funds to cover three and a half million bucks, I don't, I don't know why you're telling yourself that because I mean, well Connor I mean you were in that camp like a month ago well, <laughs> like, I was in that like camp a... I was in, okay so you, you're 100 percent right in that I was wondering how this was going to all shake out with buyouts and stuff like that I, I think Florida paying three and a half million Dude. bucks to fire a defensive coordinator yeah. who was just bad this Pocket year I change. mean they, Florida had Florida had one game in in history before mm-hmm. this year where it allowed 600 yards of of offense oh and God, this year that happened yeah this year it happened at least twice. Three. Oh, it happened, it happened three times because I know Ole Miss had it. I'm pretty sure. I, like, I, I think I think because I saw the stat somewhere. I, can't, I I thought it was at least three, but but either way, it's too much, right? I mean, They're terrible. you're right. They're it, terrible. And I, I think that like, and and they shouldn't be terrible with that kind of that kind of talent they had, you know, Can. on the defense. And and I will say this: I want to credit Florida fans because as much as y'all argued with Georgia fans all week, and Georgia fans were really the instigators on that. No offense, guys. You don't have to come at me because you just just keep coming at each other. But like. I think Florida fans were pretty realistic about about this for the most part, about how this is – I didn't see a lot of excuses being made for Mullen. I, I, I didn't, and I think that was like kind of refreshing because I think they're tired yeah, of it, man. I, I, think, they're, I yeah. think they're tired of it, and they're kind of over the fact that, like, you know, the Grantham thing, it is I, – I just – I don't get it. I just don't get it. Um, you know, he, he – Grantham is almost like – He's like the like the least likable version of Samuel Jackson, and it's like no matter what he's gonna or you know what, Todd Grantham is like Nicholas Cage. He's he's like he was good like a long time ago. Like Con Air was fantastic. The Rock, oh, I'll watch it immediately when it comes on CMT, even though they have like eight minute commercials. 
That being said, I don't need to see him in, in all these like low-budget indie films, but he seems to keep popping up everywhere we go, just like Todd Grantham. It's like, there's no reason this guy has a job anymore. There's no reason he has a job right now. And you cannot tell me it's based on, like, what was the line from The Office? If you can make an excuse for why he has a job based on merit, then I'll hear it. <laughs> and it's not. These are the tough decisions you have to make as a big-time college football head coach. And that, this is the thing that I think is a defining thing for Dan Mullen. And I, I say with, with Michigan, there are a lot of things that, that have prevented Michigan from actually being good. But people kind of overlook the fact that Michigan kept around Don Brown for way too long and finally made that decision to fire him after this year and fired him about two years too late. And it can cost a program. It can absolutely cost a program. In the same way that I thought Tom Herman was held back from the fact that he hired Tim Beck, a terrible offensive coordinator who did not deserve to have a job. Go ask Kentucky fans about that who just watched his offense crap okay. the bed in that game with <laughs> NC State. Like, these are the decisions. No, but I'm saying this because, like, you have to be able to make these tough calls. And it doesn't matter if there's that personal relationship there. You have to be able to look at the body of work and say, what is holding us back from being an elite team? Everybody can look at that team and say, that is what is holding us back. And you have to be able to make that call. Even Mark Rick, as nice of a guy as he was, still made that decision with Todd Grantham after the 2013 season at Georgia. The Tim Beck thing, I just, we got to say, like, if you don't know what Tim Beck looks like, please Google it right now because there's, there's not a better description. I don't care. I know I'm making it, but there's just not a better way to describe that man. And I mean, this is a compliment to Coach Chizik because I love Coach Chizik. Uh, but he looks exactly like divorced dad from Fort Lauderdale version of Gene Chizik. It is uncanny. It is ridiculous. He was awful yesterday in that, that Kentucky game. But, I mean, you're right. You're spot on about all this. I mean, like, I think that, like, it amazes me. Like, it, like what amazes me about this is, like, if you're – we always talk about how, it, like, some of the success of a coach hinges on um, and is dependent on, on on who you bring on in your staff, right? And and what coordinators you hire. And we talked about a lot this year with Sam Pittman at Arkansas and how great of a yeah. job they did. I just don't understand how they kind of get absolved from any kind of blame. And sometimes, like 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 Jim Harbaugh just got an extension. Jim Harbaugh got an extension yesterday. Man. I I just I don't understand how they they are somehow like their their success is so closely tied to that hire and their decision to hire them, and then it's also somehow. Like the first thing they get, they get like absolved from when they when they try to get rid of one of those coordinators. Anyway, anyway, let's talk Tim about Tim Beck. Tim Beck's like the sweetest guy in the world too. Fun fact: he yeah. used to be the offensive coordinator at Nebraska for the two seasons that I was there. And you talk to him after these games where his team would just get roasted, and like he was always available to the media, which I thought was weird. I'm like, dude, your offense just put up 14 points, and you guys just got killed. And he would talk, and he was like super nice and personable. So I think that's why Tim Beck was able to is still somehow getting Power Five offensive coordinator jobs, which makes no sense. The Armed Forces Bowl, ugly, ugly, ugly ending. Mississippi State. And Tulsa, yeah, just an ugly game all around. There were like 20-minute segments of this game where you could kind of doze off and wake up and you'd be like, oh, yeah, It was a post-Thanksgiving. It was like you always talk about. It was like the things (laughs) – it was a day after Thanksgiving game. It kind of of was. It kind of was. How how do you spoil a bowl win, uh, a game that is easily your best win of the season and you're supposed to get all sorts of off-season momentum – 
you get into a brawl like that. You do things like that at, at the end of the game. And I, I had written all these nice things about Mississippi State. I was kind of like writing along with that game. And, and a lot of the points that we talked about with the bowl preview episode where I'm saying, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about Mississippi State making that step up in year two where it's like, hey, 12 first or second year players starting in this game. You've got your quarterback, the year two leech bump where you look at Texas Tech and Washington State and these offenses that have just kind of taken off in year two. You're getting Zach Arnett, the defensive coordinator back, probably unless somebody else poaches him. And then that happens. The brawl happens. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is this team disciplined at all? Because I usually try and brush things off if, if, if they get a little bit chippy. I realize that happens. I get chippy. I like to talk smack playing pretty much anything. I do. Anybody that's ever played against me in softball or pickup basketball, despite the fact that I'm five foot eight, they know that. I, I'm not going to say that all the, the stuff that happens after a play is bad, but that was an awful look. Leach is shown taking a picture with fans while his sideline has emptied over onto the Tulsa side, and it's a free-for-all. You got dudes that are kicking dudes and running away. You got dudes punching guys in helmets, and it was a disaster. And I'm like, wait a minute. Leach goes and does this post-game interview, and then he's asked about the fight, and he's like, I'm going to have to look at a film. Dude, it was happening right in front what of you. What did he say? What, was, what are you talking was, about? What was the other quote, though? Something like, you know, I'm not going to – we're not going to sit here and have a pillow fight. It was something, like, weird about, like, how we're not – what do you want us to do to sit here and, like, it wasn't shake hands. I wish I had the exact quote in front of me, but it was it was something like, "What do you want us to do?" Blah blah blah. And it was a terrible example for one and two. It was like <laughs> yeah. you can't you can't just like dismiss what ha- like like Mike Leach. I've said this before. I was like Mike Leach is like a drunk stepdad, like where it's like you don't you just never know what you're gonna get. Like one day he's gonna take you to Six Flags, and one day he's just gonna be like cussing you out for something. Like like it just it's like a like a volatile thing. Mike Leach after this game, I'll continue with with the the parental. Uh, metaphors here but he he is I, I didn't drink in high school so which is a shock i'm sure to a lot of people but like I, I didn't go to like a bunch of parties but he is like the the stereotypical parent that's like i don't care what you do as long as you do it in the house all right just like yeah. I, i'm gonna be up here watching my programs reading the paper don't be too loud um and clean up after yourselves like that's that's how he runs his program in my opinion it was a weird, weird ending to that game. And you see some of the Mississippi State players afterwards were in their locker room and they're you know, Malik Malik Heath who that was who was responsible for the, the kick and run and then he brags about what it you- after. Like what 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 are you doing? Mississippi State, you're three and seven and you're bragging about beating up Tulsa. Cool flex, man. Like I mean, cool, cool flex. Like what what are you doing? I, the real, I, I did not understand that. The real travesty here was um you saying that Tulsa was ranked and they were legitimately ranked, and and me saying that Mississippi State was not only going to cover that spread, but they were going to win outright, and and then being right about that, and then this happening and ruining all of it for my own my own personal <laughs> game. But no, like like all jokes aside, what really what really sucks was the more like the more you like like the more layers we had to this because I don't know about you, but this is New Year's Eve, right? I'll, I'll just be very upfront with everybody. My thought on this was I had worked my ass off like for like like the previous like three straight days trying to get a bunch of stuff in line for the rest of bowl season, right? And Allie was kind of over it. We were going to have New Year's Eve together. We had people coming over. I was so pumped that this game was at 12 o'clock. We were going to be done, and Perfect we could just time. kind of relax. And like it, was like it was like a halftime. It was like a halftime of the rest of bowl season to just kind of like, you know, get us into the next day. And as soon as the game was about to end, this happened. I'm like, oh, 
Jesus. And then like they went then, back into it. Yeah, like, they, they had stepped away, and then they're like, "We got to go back live to this right. game right now <laughs> for the post game like, coverage because there's a fight happening right. with both sidelines and like a legit fight, not like one person said something and then kind of you know the entire bullpen has to come in there, yeah, like it's getting involved and it's really not like Very a good. legitimate fight that went down. It was it was well, so, and, so but like strange. for every layer that you saw like after the game. It got worse and worse. Then there was yeah. the leech comments. And I was like, "Oh my god!" And then and then they go to like you you see this video of Malik Heath. And I get it, man. Like I, I was 18, 19, 20. I was dumb into my like late twenties, so I totally get it. But going on Instagram Live and then watching your own, just the most meta dumbass video of all time, where you are you are watching yourself beat up somebody else and then bragging about it while on Instagram Live, like that's not going to be shown to the public. I just it, it was it was ridiculous. It was ridiculously, ridiculously stupid from that standpoint, thinking it wouldn't go public and you wouldn't catch some backlash for it. It was even dumber and just, I don't want to say, I'm not going to say cowardly, I would say discouraging that that a kid like that at, at that age, you know, would think that that was a, like an acceptable response to what had just happened. Like stomping a kid's head or trying to. And with like, was that guy, I think that guy might have had his helmet on, but I know there was one kid with his helmet off and people were going after him. And then you saw other kids that were like, you know, talking trash like right at the game. Like, we won't kick his ass. We won't kick his ass. Like, like this game was chippy the whole time. It's Tulsa, at, man. At, like, come I, on. listen. Like anybody can get it, but I mean, like, but it, like I, this game was chippy the whole time. Yeah. So I get that there was kind of like you know some bad blood boiling, and I, I wouldn't have wanted to stood out there in in thirty seven degree like a monsoon with like with a <sighs> hurricane coming. It, was, it looked awful. Yeah. But there was just some part where you have to like you have to. Just be more mature than that, and that was that was ridiculous. And and you, the, your comment about is this team disciplined at all? I think that is a really good question to look at. Yeah, and it just kind of makes you wonder. All right, what what's going to happen moving forward? If when we saw this year, and you can chalk up some of the year one roster attrition to saying it's a new coach who ran an entirely different system, and he's very stubborn, and that's the type of thing that you would expect to happen, especially in a year like this where you have the free year of eligibility, you can opt out. It made sense. It was sort of the perfect storm for MSU to have the year that it did with all of that roster turnover. But yeah, at the same time, moving forward, it's weird that MSU has become so synonymous with late season violence. Three mm-hmm. seasons in a row in which we've been talking about some sort of late season brawl. 2018, the Egg Bowl, of course, where that got way out of hand and you know the, the haymakers being thrown in the middle of that game and Matt Corrales burst onto the scene during <laughs> that one. Last year, of course, the Garrett Schrader punch um, with Willie Gay and all that went down. And then this year you have this. Just a, a, a very... A very tough look for a program that could have just had all the, the this great offseason momentum, and instead we're going to be talking about this instead. Too bad, too bad. But it was not the only game that was interesting involving a team from the state of Mississippi. The Outback Bowl was... Okay, so the Outback Bowl was great, and I was looking forward to it so much. You know this. I've expressed my love for watching mm-hmm. Ole Miss on a weekly basis. It is appointment viewing no matter what, and obviously Indiana is my alma mater, and I've never had any sort of reason to feel fondly about Indiana football. This game was like tugging at my heartstrings. It was everything I kind of hoped it would be, and at the end, the way that it played out where Ole Miss uh, stunningly hadn't allowed a touchdown in the first three quarters, which, I mean... Who saw that coming? I, I definitely couldn't. Yeah. And I get it. It's with a backup who had a banged up shoulder playing quarterback. But still, Ole Miss's defense was was fantastic. But th- if this game had to have a weird ending, right? Like, we were all waiting for that. And, of course, Ole Miss misses the extra point, leaves the oh door open. Tom Allen tries to call the timeout at the end. 
just an overall though great great game and an awesome win for an Ole Miss team that um, just entertained me from and entertained all of us I think from from start to finish in 2020. Wasn't there a block field goal at the end of regu- the first half? Oh, I think there was too. Wasn't I remember because I, I had made that. the graphics. I had made the graphics. And I was like, all right, this is a very makeable field goal. About to be 16 to three at half. We're good to go. And I made him and posted him, and I was like, oh, God. And so then it was like 13-3. But I thought this was this was great. Like It was really good to see Matt Corral kind of bounce back because we've seen two versions of Matt Corral. And, you know, he had 14 interceptions this year. 11 of those were in two games. And we were wondering which one was going to show up. And it was against an Indiana defense that was really good and also led yep. the country in interceptions with 17 interceptions. So the way he was able to manage that game, this is the worst way to say it. I'm, I'm sorry. The worst way he was able – or the way he was able to – execute all game long and be that efficient against a team like that, I thought was really impressive. It has to give you like a lot of confidence going into next year. I know he has, he did a lot of stuff this year that you would already have a lot of confidence in him, in him. But I think against this defense, it really said a lot um, that he's able to bounce back from that last performance. It was, this was a great game. And, and John Rice Plumley, you have it in here in the notes. John Rice Plumley, a receiver, I, this corral to Plumley, I was wondering how this is going to play out. And credit Lane Kiffin for for finding a way to keep both kids like seemingly happy and, and on on the roster uh, throughout a year like this. But Marty Smith even said this afterwards. John Rice Plumley is, is one of the best pure athletes in the country, and if he, he dedicates himself to it, Marty Smith, this is just his words. Like thinks he could be a long time NFL receiver. I'll go ahead and like spare you guys the comparison of who he's absolutely going to get compared to. But um, I, I just I think it would be awesome to watch watch this kid and really like. Trying to trying to figure out how to be a receiver in such a short time when his team needed him, it was a this was like everything that's great about college bowls. Like he had ne- never co- played receiver before that before no. before this year, never played in his life, and did it because his team needed him. Yep. Um, and thank God that they had they had somebody who could do it and didn't have to go to the women's soccer team, so people didn't lose their minds over it. Um, but like he was able to just have a I thought a really effective game. The catch he made in traffic on third down was really Oof. impressive. Um, it's like. Everything you love about college football, you have college kickers. Um, you have a game that goes down to the fourth <laughs> quarter. Two, two, like you know. But like, and I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm sorry, trauma mater, but I, I, you know, how I feel about the Big Ten. This was so such a great win for the SEC in general, and I hate to be that homer for the conference, but you have a four and five team that goes up and beats the number eleven team in the country. A very motivated um, number eleven team. Yeah, that's all we heard. Yep, no doubt. And I was dead wrong on this game. I thought Indiana would, would roll, and especially when you see the guys who aren't playing for Ole Miss. They're about 75% of their receiving production or something That's like ridiculous. that. No Elijah Moore, no Kenny Aboa, Braylon Sanders. Jerry Neely was even out as well in this game. Was he really? Yeah, wasn't even, wasn't even playing in this game. And <laughs> Brought that up and on they, Facebook Live. <laughs> they still found a way, and that, yeah. that to me was was impressive. And w- one more thing that I want to that I want to mention with the, the Plumley stuff, because – I, I tip my cap to that kid for, for not doing the, hey, I'm going to mid-season, I see the writing on the wall, Matt Corral's taking off, I'm going to go mm-hmm. find somewhere to play. And I'm not going to fault this kid, but the, the what what it could have resembled was the Joey Gatewood situation at mm-hmm. where he sees the writing on the wall and he's like, all right, I'm not going to be the guy here, I'll find a different situation. Don't fault Joey Gatewood at all for doing that. John Rice Pumley could have easily done that. And instead, in this game where he drops that wide open pass uh, on the well, sideline yeah wide open and and, and you're, you're reminded oh yeah that's that's what it looks like for a quarterback who's transitioning receivers though with the sun yeah yeah, yeah to, safety bearing down on them 
the Florida Sun. People forget about the Florida Sun. Um, but then to respond the way that he did down the stretch, where that's that's the go-ahead drive. And he's out there, and he's catching a key slant on third down through defensive pass interference that they called on that play. And then the very next play, he runs that wheel route, and he's, like, twisting around his body. And it was actually a more difficult catch that I think we gave than people probably realize the way that he had to control his body and stand his feet and do all those different things. And it's 44 yards to set up that go-ahead touchdown. I don't know how he's exactly going to be used next year, but I agree. I just want to see John Rice Pumley on the football field. And I want to see him on the football field in Lane's offense and not necessarily as like the backup quarterback. They've got enough quarterbacks on that roster where I'd feel comfortable if you don't necessarily have him in that role. But dude is electric and he is so, so fun to watch. I was glad that he was able to kind of get that moment on the big stage and just a great win overall for Ole Miss, like you said. I mean, against a motivated Indiana team, defense finally played its tail off, and you weren't questioning the effort or anything like that. I thought they brought it for, for 60 minutes. Lane gets an extension and then beats his first top 25 team. I, I'm excited about the direction of this team moving forward. I, I know that you lose Elijah Moore, Kenny Yeboah, but you get Jerry Neely back, Matt Corral, and probably John Rice Plumley and Snoop Connor. This team is going to be fun moving forward, and especially mm -hmm. if they are able to hold on to Jeff Levy, who, um, you know, you just never know. You never know with these I just, things. But I get what you're saying with Jeff Levy, and I agree. I think he would be, like, <clears throat> that's the person I would target, I would think, first. Um, and I'm sure they're going to do some research on it, obviously, and figure out the best guy to go get. But um, if you're Jeff Levy, have you seen Jeff Levy? He's an interesting-looking guy. I mean, he's like He's like a younger dude he's a he's a bigger dude like he's like a yeah big he's a dude. bigger dude and and so what what i view from that is that like and I, I don't know jeff levy but i would say he seems like a young guy that likes to have like a good time and i, I bet you being a coach on lane Kiffin's staff is a blast at times like True. i mean like True. i you know I, I bet they go to a lot of water parks and when i say water parks i don't mean water parks like to celebrate stuff and i just i think <laughs> it would be a lot of fun to to be on that staff and to go from that <laughs> to uh what do you call it? To Saban? I mean, I it's like, yeah, it'd be very different. It'd be very different. So <laughs> it'd be the, the control aspect. And, and the thing that I always try and think about with, with coordinators and, you know, whether it makes sense, what's a lateral move, what's not a lateral move of why going to like what Jeff Levy's going to have head coaching interest, no doubt. Like what I think Bama would be one of the very few offensive coordinator positions he would consider when it's yeah. like, all right, well, everybody knows that Lane has his imprint on that offense as well. And like how much control does Jeff Levy have? versus Lane, everybody gives, we're quick to give Lane the, the credit. And at Bama, you would know that, all right, Saban's turning the over, over the yeah. offense to you and you're gonna have total control over that. So like there's there's that and then there's the money aspect where Bama's gonna be able to come over the top and pay pay an assistant like that big, big, big time money. And Jeff Levy was somebody who just, you know, a year ago is is trying to work his way up through the ranks at UCF. So you just, you just kind of never know with those dynamics. But if Ole Miss retains that guy, man, that offense is going to be fun, fun, fun to watch moving forward. No yeah. doubt about it. The other game in Sunshine State, the Citrus Bowl. Oh, bit of a snoozer. Bit of a snoozer. Northwestern and Auburn. Um, I'm sort of glad that I wasn't at this game this year. I usually love being at the Citrus Bowl, kind of regardless of who's playing. Alabama, Michigan last year. Kentucky, Penn State the year before that. Man, this is pretty rough to watch. Um, and and I've been very critical of Bonix before. I thought he showed a lot of toughness by sticking in there. In a game where you don't have to take Bigsby, yeah. Anthony Schwartz. Auburn didn't really have much of a chance in that game, especially in the second half. But I thought him playing hurt, noticeably playing hurt too. I, I tip my cap to, to Bo Nix. That was not a game that Auburn was really set up to win at all. I Yeah. I, I just, I mean, 
I was there was there were there were some highlights of this game. There were some positive moments of this game. I think for Auburn and watching Big Cat Bryant get after the quarterback was was a lot of fun. Hope he um, comes back. What? I hope he comes back, Big Cat Bryant. Does he have the option? I mean, I guess everyone has the option too. But I mean, yeah, yeah sure. Um, I, I, like he, I really enjoyed watching that. And, they, and they, like they, you have to credit Auburn to an extent because. I, it, it sounds weird to say, like you said, like they, they never had a chance of being in this game without Bigsby and without Schwartz. I hated, I, I hated the fact that we didn't get to see Schwartz against like, a defense like this, um, yeah. and I hate the fact that we never look like, anytime we don't get to see Tank Bigsby. Um, and he's he's a guy that seems kind of, you know, iffy if he's even going to stick around uh, with the new coaching hire. But it was a tough game to watch. It was a tough game to watch because I mean, Bo Nix was just getting throttled back there, um, and and it, but it was you know. Like, like I said, from the positive standpoint, it was great to see some of these guys that really did give their all for that team. You know, even with the weird, uh, the kind of the, the weird, what do you call it, um, circumstances that, that they were in. And I, th- and I think mm-hmm. I could be wrong about this timeline, but we, did we find out? Because, like, like Brian Harson was on that broadcast all day. Like, like it was. I joked oh, this on, on social media. I was like, like there are literally like biographical documentaries that that talk less about an individual person than that broadcast did about Brian Harson. And it was like, and and like you know, I'm excited to learn about Brian Harson because like I don't I don't know that much about him, and he seems great. Um, and and I'm sure Auburn did their due diligence to make a good hire. But like, I, I just I wonder what he's got his hands full with the quarterback situation mm-hmm. and and the the news of the Kevin Steele thing I did not like I just I just did not like and I think it's a guy that's uh you know in a really weird spot but if he, yeah anyway but I just I, I'm pretty sure that news broke during the game yeah so that that was that was a, a noteworthy development because we've praised Kevin Steele a lot and his units have been really good and I thought he's done a lot of the heavy lifting for Auburn over the last four years for sure. And I think he's one of the best defensive minds in the sport. I, I believe that. I firmly believe that. But I sort of get the decision from Brian Harson. If there was any truth to the whole yep. plan to get Gus Malzahn fired and Kevin Steele's got some people working for him in his favor behind the scenes, that's not exactly the thing that you even want to worry about if you're a new head coach and wondering, is your top assistant trying to get you canned or does he have people in his corner that could get you canned? So from that standpoint, wanting to start new, I get it. Uh, obviously, it seems strange to just let one of the best offensive coordinators in college football just kind of walk. Um, right. But I think given that element, I, I'm not necessarily going to, to, to fault him for that. Is, is that a fair thing to say? <laughs> no, I, I, it's like this whole thing has been like this like Shakespearean play of of weirdness of that that's like you know kind of transpired. I, I don't. I don't blame him at all. I mean, like if I if I came in, there were any rumors about that. Yeah, like I like yeah. I would be like you're you're done. Um, it, I just I didn't like the way the news was broken, like like during the game. And I don't know if Kevin Steele yeah. found that out. I'm sure he had his hands full, in general. But yeah, it was um, you know, and it was closed for a minute. Like I like I, I'm not I'm not making a joke when I say this, but I was like looking down trying to finish graphics and posts for the Georgia game, and it was 14 to 13. And then I look up, like literally look up, and it's 27 to 13. And I it just. You know, they they showed a lot of fight, and then it just at the end it kind of pulled away and really, really, really screwed uh, screwed the under for me. Ah, big time that they did. Uh, I had wrote like a month ago that I don't think Bonix is going to start another game for Auburn. I probably should have said after the twenty twenty season concludes because I had a couple of people that were like tagging me in that like old takes exposed blah blah. 
Yeah. I still don't think Bo Nix starts for Auburn moving forward. I think if you're an offensive-minded coach like Brian Harson is, you want to bring in possibly your own guy. You go to the grad transfer market, something like that, that would maybe make more sense for you than Bo Nix, who has had kicked two out years. of another school. Go, just go the old route. I mean, could be, could be. Um, we all know Nick Marshall. I mean, it worked out well. And let him to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That too. I mean, whatever, whatever you got to do. Um, Zach Mettenberger. There's another. Yeah, one. I mean, Cord Sandberg. 34-year-old Cord Sandberg came in for a minute, and 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 you started, you got, you got the understanding of why Bo Nix started every game this year. But yeah, man, I, th- I think uh, looking back on it, and and we thought that, or you know, I thought that was what he was going to do with Bo Nix. Talking about Gus, but it was not the right decision. Nope, ultimately it was not. Let's end with Gator Bowl. Uh, we're going to end on a positive note because it's positive vibes only man. in 2021. NC State, Kentucky, third consecutive bowl win for Mark Stoops. Easily his best win of the year against a legit top 25 team. Kentucky pretty much won the game the only way it's been able to win a game all year. Like, forced turnovers, run the football. Uh, Chris Rodriguez looked fantastic. A.J. Rose was excellent. Game MVP. I am so happy for our favorite neighbor, Terry Wilson. Yeah. He got to end that way. And I know it wasn't the best individual performance that he's had in his career, but he didn't make that key mistake in this game and got to close his career out with a win. Was, you know, just he's the quarterback of some awesome moments at Kentucky over the last last few years here. And I think Kentucky fans will always have a certain appreciation for him and kind of being that steadying presence that they needed. Obviously, Kentucky's going in a very different direction offensively moving forward. And he might be a little bit of a, hey, remember when Terry Wilson was our quarterback? I hope he doesn't get used as like a punchline in those scenarios from, from certain people. But a guy who meant a lot to that program. Um, and so good for him to be able to, to kind of go out that way. Did you see the play with the Kentucky defensive line giving fake CPR? Because that was left on <laughs> Yeah, that was that was good. That was so great. There was this this was another game that was really chippy. It was it was another game where yeah. there was like a, a lot of uh um almost fights and and uh I mean Davis at linebacker for Kentucky is just I say that I feel like Jamie I say this Davis, a lot, yeah. it's our own fault, but like yeah, Jamie Davis is, is a guy that we don't talk enough about. It just it, like just every like he he was he's almost like how Josh Allen was like I'm not saying like he took over games like Allen at all, but he just was always around the football or around when mm-hmm. you needed a big play. And it just I, I thought it was great and and you get the feeling early that Kentucky, even though they were very limited in their passing game, I think it was a uh, who's, who's the guy that writes for Kentucky Matt um, Matt Jones Matt, Kentucky Sports Matt Jones Radio. yeah Matt Jones he he made some comment and he was like North Carolina the way to beat North Carolina State is to run the football. And luckily for Kentucky, that is the only thing they do well <laughs> yep. on offense. And so, um, but it was it was a great win. And I tell you what, like I, I think, just it kind of encompassed the the entire season. It was there's there's not a team in this conference that I pull more for. Um, and I think that I think everyone would agree with this. Like it's it's almost like they're like the Arkansas of the East, and I think t- those teams are like you know pretty similar, especially this season, where they're like universally universally like not cheered against. You know what I mean? Like you're not you're like nobody has bad blood with Kentucky besides maybe Tennessee. Yeah. And and you watch like the Schlarman special they had uh, on game day which was just crying nonstop because it was just so, you know, much like it's just what an, what a season they had at Kentucky and to close out this way, I think the quote was from um the guy on the broadcast of Adnush uh I don't remember his last name, but he said this season for Kentucky was defined by loss and adversity and unimaginable emotions, and you hope these final moments can bring a smile to that team, that locker room, and that fan base. And I thought that was such a perfect way to just kind of um, sum up 
what that win meant and what, what it meant to close out a, just an unbelievable season uh, that they had to go through. Yeah, just the, the circumstances. I think we take for granted sometimes what it's like when you see 18 to 22-year-old kids deal with, deal with loss and deal with yeah. loss with somebody that they've been around every single day and they've seen that person fight. And I think that, you know, we, we can dismiss a team like Kentucky because they aren't necessarily competing for division titles or stuff like that. But, you know, you brought it up a couple of times on the podcast. This is one of those things that makes college football great. Mm-hmm. And you see these kids that are, are truly playing for something that, that's bigger than them. And they, you know, like a little bit like last year with Lynn Bowden, you see kind of this inspired performance down the stretch and, and what it meant for them to close out the way that they did. You know, I, I think Kentucky's floor is is much higher than, than what anybody still probably realizes nationally. And, you know, I, I watched, I, I've compared Indiana football to Kentucky football for a long time. And I watched Indiana football with its best team in decades still not be able to get a bowl win, which hasn't happened since 1991. And meanwhile, a team like Kentucky has now won three consecutive bowl games and has just looked like a team that has a lot more stability. And you see it with, with a game like this, where you look back on the year that they had, and it's like, yeah, I mean, they didn't compete necessarily. And if they could have gotten that Auburn win, you know, maybe things are a little bit differently. Four of their six losses came against top 10 teams. Yeah. Really, really good That's something we did not talk about enough. Yeah. I mean, they they we knew who they were. We knew who they were. We knew that they had limited upside. This was this was their identity. They had to stick to it. They didn't necessarily have the personnel to be able to, to kind of deviate from that. Excited to see what this new offense looks like. They get Josh Ali back. Who knows what their offense is going to look like if Joey Gatewood's running the show, Bo Allen potentially. But overall, a nice finish for Kentucky and glad they were able to close out on this note. And Mark Stoops, put your money in this bank, man. Don't but don't dance bank. anymore. Don't da- like that don't was. Dance. We love you, Coach. You're one of our favorites. Um, you've been one of the best interviews we've ever had on this podcast. But please don't dance anymore. But was, here's the, I don't know what. Here's that the was. good news. My my first thought when I saw that was, hey, when we have him on, inevitably in like two months, yeah. we get to ask him about those dance moves. And if he's been working on them. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, guys, you gotta like we talk about stretching hammies and you know quads <laughs> and, and and like just you know doing like you listen. You don't want to ever start a day if there's everything anything I ever learned from eighth grade PE. You cannot start your day off without doing some arm circles because if you do Got or it. if you don't, like what what are you gonna do the rest of the day? Like that sets the precedent for the rest of the day. Um, and, but you know the other big part of that when you get a little bit older, you got to start stretching them hips out. Okay, and mm-hmm. and those hips they lied they lied big time yesterday from Coach Stoops and I, I didn't. It was a bad look, but it was a, it was a great win and a great way to close out the year. Dak Prescott tells you about stretching out those hips. You know, he does the, oh the weird God. hip thing that he went viral for. And you, you notice that now, and I saw Ian Book doing this too, all those weird exercises that quarterbacks do before the game with their arms. Like, it's like borderline arm circles, but it's kind of not. And you're thinking to yourself, how much does that really do? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's it's pretty much what you – if you're going to be shown 20 minutes before a game on the field with your headphones on and your warm-ups, you have to be doing one of those things. And if you're not – you're pretty much yeah. just not even going to be able to play. That's, and that's I, just I need to real quick apologize. I got to apologize to Kentucky fans because Sunday apology. No, well, yeah, you know we can do that. We can do that real quick. That Sunday apology um, I'm going to give uh, is, whew, you know, now I need to think about it too. Because um, I was pretty spot on in a lot of my bowl picks. I, like I did, I did pretty well. I, um, so I, I, you know, and I'll apologize to Ole Miss's defense because I did not think they would be able to hold up that well against Indiana. I'll, I'll apologize to Ole Miss's offense too. Ditto. So I did not think they would be able to put up that many points without um, the people they were missing. That was fantastic to watch. Um, uh, let's see here. Apologize to you know I'm not apologizing to Ohio State. Um, I was pretty spot on with the Georgia thing. Um, 
but here, what I was originally gonna say, so my second apology will be, I made those graphics, um, and they were they were like the highlight of my bowl week because it was a lot of fun, just like these bowl matchup graphics. But I'll admit, once it got to the last day, your boy was a little tired, and and I, I rested on my laurels a little bit here, and and kind of went with instead of making sure I researched everything to know exactly what I was talking about, I I kind of went with like you know, what I thought I knew. And I had no idea that people in Lexington, Kentucky, Kentucky like Kentucky fans, did not claim Churchill Downs. That, that blew my mind. And I know there's a lot of horse breeding going on in that state. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I didn't realize that at all. And so, so I will apologize to, to Kentucky fans for that. And really, in any other fan base that I might have, I might have missed, because it was a lot of fun learning about some of those fan bases uh, and like their, their traditions and, um, and the alumni especially. That was really fun. Mike Pence did technically go to IUPUI, Thank you. which not quite Indiana Bloomington, so it's it's a little bit. I mean, but that that's 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 perfectly understandable. The the alumni list was was great. I think people people get a kick out of that stuff, especially when it's trying to learn about new conference and all of that. I was following all of those and trying to to catch up and learn as much as possible. But I mean, those I thought I thought you nailed those. I don't know if an apology is is fully necessary on that at all. I'll apologize just one more time to Texas A&M fans. Man, I, I roasted, I roasted the Aggies after that loss to Bama, and I did mm-hmm. not think that they would finish the year like this. I laughed at Peter Burns when he threw out that A&M has the best path to the playoff. Okay, sure. Let me tell you, let me tell Ooh. you a little something about A&M. No, 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 no. That team went went to work and put its head down the entire rest of the season. It didn't let anything get in the way, and they finished the season off doing exactly what they've been doing since that since that Bama loss. And I I think Jimbo Fisher is a much better co- coach than I was giving him credit for. And I I have fully bought back into what Jimbo Fisher is as a head coach. I mean, the foundation in College Station is tremendous. And I just I, I loved watching this team. I really really did. And I was. I was looking forward to being able to see what they would do against UNC on that stage. So once again, apologies to AM fans. Your team, your team was really good. It was really, really good. It would have been cool to see kind of yeah. a rematch against Bama in the playoff just to see potentially how far they had come since that loss. But we didn't ultimately get that. All right. Marlon, that was good. That was yeah. uh man, full bull coverage. Just we, just to give everyone a heads up. If you want to do it, we can. But I, I want I want them to hear it from me. That there's only one game left, and it involves Alabama, so we are going to talk about that game coming up. They know. They know. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to talk about the Heisman as well, because next yeah. time we record is going to be... Next time we record is going to be Thursday, actually, is, is the plan. So that's going to come out like late Thursday into Friday, because the national championship isn't until Monday. So we'll preview yeah. everything with that. Um, working on a potential potential guest, possibly somebody that, that we I think we both tried to contact. We got to see if we can get this person on. Um, he's we've we've had him on once before. I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you off air, but um, somebody that I know we are we are both very fond of. Uh, this has been I think a really good bowl season for the SEC in a year where we were trying to ask these questions about who's who's yeah. going to actually end up looking good. SEC ends up going six and two in bowl season. Didn't quite go undefeated like the Big Twelve did, um, but. Then again, if you can't win a playoff game and you go undefeated in bowl season, eh, what does it really mean? So, Marler, um, let's put a bow on. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been an awesome year, and I appreciate you guys sticking around, all that good stuff. And uh, you know, um, 
it was a weird year. It was a really weird yeah. year for so many reasons, and, and so thankful and, and happy that we got to spend it with y'all. I hope that Will is not already playing the, the damn outro music way too loud right now. I'm gonna make a, a point to say something about that. Um, but yeah, I just I I just really want to say thank you from the, like the bottom of my heart from um, for all you guys like listening throughout the year and. You had a chance to either listen to this or just bang your head into the wall uh, during quarantine, and you guys chose this, which is, you know, I, we appreciate that. So thank you. And we're going to keep going. We're going to have some great stuff planned for the offseason. Got a lot of good uh, good ideas moving forward as well. And we will, of course, stay through, uh, through the national championship with tons and tons of great content. SDS is going to have everything covered for the national championship. If you're looking to get a little bit more Big Ten coverage because you want to learn about Ohio State, Go to SaturdayTradition.com. That is our Big Ten site where we have great content that's going to be coming out. My brother Ryan, Dustin Schutte. Um, I know that we're, we're having so many different people, that freelancers that are doing stuff for us as well on all things um, Ohio State. So make sure that if you want to get a little bit of extra insight on that, head over to SaturdayTradition.com as well. Subscribe to the Saturday Football Newsletter. I say it all the time. Saturday.Football. Adam Spencer, Dustin Schutte. They do such a great job putting that together. Follow all Adam's great basketball content is starting five as well. Marlon, new year, but same thing that we need to remember. It might mean too much, guys.